My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. going this is steve from lost in translation the park whiskey society podcast and i'm here with my co-host hey it's sean 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 kincaid we're here today with uh with kind of a guy these we're like secret admirers of this guy he's uh <laughs> he's kind of a darling in the i think in the whiskey community he's one of the one of the best brand ambassadors i think in canada He's passionate about whiskey, he's passionate about his brands, he's always uh, engaging to, to talk to, and he works his butt off to, to not only not only put his brands out there, but just to, I don't know, just to kind of better the whiskey community and world, and he, I don't know, honestly, he's part of an all-star cast that I think we already have in Canada, and, and he's definitely one of the leaders there. Uh, say hello, Whiskey Bry, Brian Simpson. Hello everyone, uh, thank you so much for having me and thank you for those very kind words. I can take a lot of that, so feel free to compliment me as much as you like today. <laughs> We're very complimentary people, so we'll make sure we pour it on. So we, uh, it's it's actually kind of a funny story because this is the this is actually our second time at BAT recording a podcast with <laughs> with Mr. Simpson and we, well, we, we recorded before Christmas hoping to obviously get an episode out in early in the year and my... Uh, lack of education in audio editing kind of destroyed that option, but it, uh, it it also gave us an opportunity to kind of. I think me and Sean now are a little a little more loose. We're, we we're a little more comfortable in what we're doing, and the like the audio quality wasn't wasn't the best, which is why I kind of messed it up trying to trying to bring it to life. So I know that you were kind of you were happy that that I reached out and, and asked to redo it as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, also, as well, I have a bit, a bit more practice now. I'm, I'm confident I'm going to be more interesting. I mean, maybe even funnier <laughs> this time. Whoa, even funny. Well, not well, that not that it wasn't interesting the first time. No, but. and the biggest problem was I was in quarantine. Uh, yeah, when we recorded, so we had you know a three way Zoom going, and the audio through too many Zooms gets washed out anyways. So now that we're side by side, and Whiskey Bry is on the screen in front of us yeah he's got new internet connection new mic microphone he's he's all he's all geared up basically (laughs) just did it all for us so we're so flattered (laughs) (laughs) so uh i guess let's let's just um let's jump into this podcast let's uh let's look at you uh brian and why don't you tell us tell us about yourself tell us how your whiskey journey started uh tell us what what uh brought you into the position that you're in uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, fan, it's a fantastic question. Uh, I think everyone in the whiskey community uh, starts off in different places. What a few people find surprised about myself because I am from Scotland. I'm from a, a place just outside Glasgow called Lanarkshire. Um, a lot of people may expect uh, a Scotsman's whiskey journey to start quite early on. Um, I really think that I really started getting to whiskey in my early 20s. And for the most part, it was just myself going to the pub with my friends and there was some, there'd be some beers, there'd be a wee dram to go alongside it. And for the most part, I just enjoyed whiskey. I didn't really know an awful lot about it. Sometimes I didn't necessarily know um, the whiskeys that I was trying, apart from I was enjoying them. But the real turning point is when I started a whiskey club in Scotland. And this was just a real way for me to not only learn more about whiskey, but also connect with people who like whiskey. Because I generally feel the best way to learn is when you're around people. 
And it's something that transfers here in Canada because I do feel that the Canadian whiskey community is unbelievable. And so much of it is people sharing their passion and sharing their knowledge with people. So the Whiskey Club is a massive part. It's called the Hip Flask Hiking Club. I talk about it all the time. Something I'm very proud to still be a part of. Um, and then from there, it was just getting to have the opportunity to host tastings as well. And speaking out loud about whiskey, people will tell you that's when people can see if you're passionate or not. And I certainly got obsessed, not with drinking the whiskey necessarily, but learning about the history, the science of it. But the most important part really is having a dram with people. It's the best part. Yeah. And, and honestly, with you, Brian, it's I you can you can almost tell you can tell right away as soon as you start talking about it that you're super passionate about it. And that's that, I think that's just such a key, a key player, because when when I go to a master class or when I engage with someone to talk about whiskey and you, if, if I could just get the notion that they're just there doing a job, then I they they lose the audience being me and I've seen them lose the audience in a room as well. Then you get, you get guys kind of just drinking all over the table, kind of just doing whatever, just kind of passing the time. When, when you get to someone like yourself, that is a true is truly passionate about the spirit. You're, you're locked in and you want to hear everything that you have to say. And you, you also represent two very, very reputable brands. So I think that's probably a prerequisite to, to be in the position that you're in. I was just going to say like to add to that, it's the authenticity like you yeah. you can pick out an authentic uh spirit ambassador who's really in tune with it and i've been to master classes with guys that you know or or women but the one i'm thinking of it literally felt like we were a burden to be there and that there was better things to do and yeah it did not make me feel like i wanted to even be there past the introduction yeah exactly well and, and brian's table is always the busiest table yeah at every every event i've been to that's for sure <laughs> well i think you have to i think the one thing i see is that the brands come first i mean it's about glenmorangie it's about our bag they've been around for a long long time and i've been with the company about three years and my the honor that I've got to talk about Glamorangie and Ardbeg, I can't under I, I could never understand someone in my position, this dream job, not to get passionate about it. And the people that are coming up at tastings and we're doing master classes, I mean, if I can tell the stories of them and they walk away and they've enjoyed the actual overall event and they enjoy the whiskies, that's it. But it is something that I really do love that I've been welcomed into the whiskey community in Canada. It's a huge thing. And it and I I, I think I probably say that. I thought that this was what it would be like everywhere. When I talk to people, my colleagues, like other parts of the world, the Canadian whiskey community and the idea of doing the festivals, it's different. There's a close community here. And I think we all kind of look after each other as well. And we always do have that respect when it comes to master classes and to whiskey shows. Yeah, it's, it's really cool actually watching because when like during the festival season, you kind of get a glimpse into to the like the trips and the and the the fun parts and stuff like that from all of the ambassadors being you and um some of the glenfiddich ambassadors and and mike brisbois and and all these you kind of you can tell that you're all very very close-knit group as well because but you all share such a such a heightened passion for the spirit that of course you're going to go on a trip together and and all these events and have a ton of fun like it only makes sense there's no i think there's i think it's interesting in scotch whiskey is that I'd I love it to be everywhere in the world. Maybe I'm just being a bit too idealistic, but <laughs> Scotch, Scotch whiskey is brilliant. Like Scotch whiskey is a fantastic thing. And 
realistically, I think if the industry is doing well, then Glenmorangie and Ardbeg are going to do well. I imagine that other brands that are out there are going to do well. And that's the way I think about it. And I think a lot of people in the company that I work for think the same way. And I think I'm really happy that there's not, in terms of our level at least, in terms of ourselves, the mm-hmm. our brand ambassadors in Canada, I don't think there's any competition. But it doesn't mean there's not any friendly banter. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. So, was um, Glenmorangie and Arbeg were they were they favorite whiskies of your favorite distilleries of yours before you you kind of took on this venture? I guess the uh, the perfect marketing story here would just, would be to say that Glenmorangie was the first bottle of whiskey I ever bought. It wasn't. But it was the second, <laughs> so that's not too bad. Uh, but I think that I think for both of Glenmorangie, especially like when when it came to myself, not necessarily just enjoying whiskey, but starting to understand whiskey. I think Glenmorangie, ten years old, was certainly one of them. When I did buy a bottle of it, uh, a friend of mine said it's actually a good idea to take a notepad as well. And Glenmorangie, ten years old, is a fantastic whiskey to learn about your own palate and. You don't have to necessarily, my friend said, don't jump out with the most extravagant tasting notes. Just write down what you like about it. And because Glenmorangie being unpeated, I think it's quite an approachable whiskey. I think most people would agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's one of the easiest ones to to pick up what you like. And then from there, go out, stretch out, and then see the other flavors in there. But certainly it was an important whiskey for me and a whiskey that I still say Glenmorangie 10 is probably my favorite in the range, but it might just be an emotional attachment. I always, I can't even answer if it's my favorite for flavor, but certainly on an emotional level, it definitely is my favorite. So what was the first one you bought? Well, Mr. Mike Breesbaugh is going to be happy that uh-huh. it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll stop plugging Mike Breesbaugh for this episode now. <laughs> See, it gets enough attention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, Bri, you said that you've been in the current venture for three years. Uh, where did you start, and when did you start in the whiskey industry itself? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. I don't know if it's a normal way to do it, but I'd probably say like starting even just in the whiskey community. You know, just being around people, going to the Glasgow's Whiskey Festival is a wonderful event. Making friends there. I also worked at a retail store, a liquor store in Glasgow, and that was called the Good Spirits Company. I was there for only about a year. And I had like a boot camp education about spirits in general. And I was someone that was brought in maybe to focus on the, the whiskey side of it. But f- I was far, far, I'm not even an expert now, but I was far from an expert then. But I think that there gave me a huge amount of confidence about how to talk about whiskey. There's one thing I would say that we sometimes forget in our little whiskey bubble when we actually are enthusiasts is that the things that we talk about might not necessarily translate well when you're actually talking to someone that's outside that bubble. So working at that store was great. People were coming in and you're trying to dissect this massive wall of whiskey. And that was number that was a fantastic education for me. Another one was when I started to do some of the events of like actually pouring at whiskey shows and starting to take on contracts to do tastings and things like that. And that's when I was in Canada. And again, it's it's when you're talking to people who are outside of your little circle and actually seeing how passionate they are about whiskey and what they're looking for in a whiskey, it opens your eyes. And when I did after that, I think um, I was trying to get myself around there waiting for the perfect job. And funnily enough, it was, I think it must have been two weeks after I got my, my work visa for Canada that I got the put forward for the job of Glenmorangie and Ardbeg. So oh, I was awesome. certainly waiting for them. <laughs> I, don't listen, I don't know if they were waiting for me. <laughs> I was certainly waiting for them. <laughs> yeah. how, so how long have you been in Canada for? 
Or lived in Canada um, for? So it's been back and forth. It's been back and forth over the space of 10 years. I've not okay. been here for 10 years, but that's when I first moved to Canada and been back and forth because of different different issues, mostly to do with uh, visas and immigration. Yeah, of course. But very, very proud to say uh, that I'm a permanent resident of Canada now. Awesome. And Good for you. You're here to stay. Uh, well, it's under a special visa, so I'm, I'm here as long as my wife wants me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, in front of us, we've got two different whiskeys, um, two Ardbegs, and the first one that we have is the Wee Beastie. It's newer to our market. Um, do you just want to give a bit of background, maybe some inspiration about um, where it came from? And obviously, the big one was that the five-year age statement on it and why Ardbeg chose to go with an age statement so low? Yeah, a fantastic question. Um, so Ardbeg itself has got uh, like an up and down history. And, you know, I say it that there's some distilleries out there that have had no bad, like no, no bad days. And Ardbeg's not one of them. So good for them. But Ardbeg has had <laughs> a huge amount of ups and downs. We call it the roller coaster story. And I won't go into it too much, but pretty much there was days where our bag was closed down for uh, pretty much all of a decade in the 1980s as part of the whiskey flood, terrible time in Scotch whiskey. Mm-hmm. And also as well, when it reopened, um, it was only open for two months of the year. And that was from 1990 to 1996. So it's kind of found that not a, not a huge amount of people got to try our bag, but those that did try it absolutely loved it. And with that, you actually had a groups of people who were coming to come to our big distillery and they were given the staff of our big whiskey <laughs> because the, the actual people probably had more than what the staff had ever tried. <laughs> and it went from being almost bulldozed down to Glenmorangie taking over mm-hmm. in 1996, Okay. And with that, what happened is you had a huge amount of people that were really not just passionate about our big that they had tasted, but they're also interested in the story of what happens to our big next. So we had this focus group to kind of go towards. And a good example of this is we released a, a whiskey collection. This is like in the early 2000s, if I remember right, or even before that. And what it was is called the, uh, the PT Path to Maturity. And this is where we released a series of whiskeys of Ardbeg, but they were admittedly young. Now, the first one of this was called Ardbeg Very Young, which I think is a fantastic name for a whiskey. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> followed, followed up, we were going to kind of release these almost as a curiosity for people to kind of see what the spirit happens. What happened, which probably surprised most people at Ardbeg at the time, is that those whiskeys then became massive collector's items. People absolutely loved them, not just because of the romance of the story, but actually really loved the way it tastes. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had that focus group that people do like young Ardbeg, and Dr. Bill Lumsden, our head of whiskey creation, uh, Brendan McCarran and Jillian McDonald, who make up the rest of the whiskey creation team, when they themselves have been doing tastings and masterclass for a long time, and they hear it all the time, that people love the idea of a young Ardbeg. And it was all just waiting for perhaps the right time on the market to release a young Ardbeg. And the marketing department and the bosses said, we think this is about time, because a lot of people are wanting this idea of not necessarily older is better, they actually know that if it's good whiskey, that's what's going to sell it. So we had the confidence to be transparent with the age as well. And I, I, I love that they were that confident and that bold and and willing because most most distilleries, if they had if they were going to release something like this, I don't think that they would be as confident as Ardbeg to put five years on the bottle and say this this is us. We're proud. 
of our of our spirit and and here you go so the one thing i guess i wanted to ask is like based on what you're saying the the break five years it's it's here to kind of join the core range family as far as we know but it's not it's not going to replace anything is it uh, yeah, that's correct. It's, it's, it's in the core range, but nothing is going to leave the core range. It's not replacing anything. Part of it is that a part of, part of the thing with Arbeg is that we do release a lot of special editions because there's a huge demand for them. Every time we release a special edition for Arbeg Day, or be that we occasionally release Arbeg Supernova, which is a heavy, very super heavily peated Arbeg. Yeah, um, these are whiskies that a lot of people do love. And just and a lot of people do say, you know, we wish we had more of it. So having special releases all the time is fun, without a doubt. But I think a lot of people who we sort of spoke to, uh, be it at whiskey shows, be it the Arbeg committee members, I think a lot of people would just love to have another Arbeg in the core range that they can have readily available to get. So a bit of a, a bit of a challenge for the whiskey makers, but I think they've pulled through and done an amazing job with the Arbeg Five. Yeah, I think they did a great job. Honestly, it it just kind of comes off to me as just a more spry more lively our big 10 kind of thing right it's just got it's just got this like uh this well that obviously the youthfulness but the youthfulness adds just like a bright character to it in my eyes i don't know what do you think sean yeah like it it not that it's more layered but there's a different layer to it than an a 10 or one of the other core range and i mean you know everybody says oh if you're not used to isla whiskeys or whatever our bagel punch you in the face and and this one i find it while it's younger and you definitely get that peat heavy note on it it doesn't punch you in the face it's it's almost approachable and so like i like to tell people if you want to try our bag and you know you don't want to spend over a hundred dollars on one of the like cory brecken or anno or whatever then grab the wee beastie because it'll give you what our bag is and it's to me it's the perfect introduction whereas the 10 before was and i find this is even more of a, a proper introduction to Ardbeg. yeah and we're, and we're supposed to sorry sorry to interrupt right but we're we're supposed to be getting a, a, an influx of wee beastie back into the market as far as i know so i know that it kind of came and went really quickly but as far as i've talked to the retailers and and maybe you can add to this brian but it's supposed to hit shelves and it's it's going to be here. I think there's a lot of people that have kind of been anxious about it because they want it, and which obviously the rest of the world's been talking about it forever now. But just patience, 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 because it is coming. Am I right? It is. It is. It is. Um, I think last last year was certainly when people were asking me about any of our whiskeys. There was quite a lot of well, we expect here's our estimate. This is maybe arriving. There was oh, nothing yeah. concrete. We COVID never ruined that. Pedestal. <laughs> so. But of course, a lot of people were were really. Uh, I, I I dare say they were really desperate to to get to sample this really really cool whiskey. Um, thankfully, we're we think that we should be okay for it to actually be a bit more readily readily available. I will say we were new. We, we expected obviously it was going to do well. Our bigs generally, when they do get released, there's a lot of people who chase after them. The one thing that we're we we're what really put it on us though is. People have bought it second, the second time. And I think that's the one thing that's given us confidence in terms of it's going to be a real big hit for us. And with that, we're asking for more and more allocation from the from the team in the UK. So we've I think Canada's done well in terms of like showing how much they like it. So with I that, we so. should be able to get more throughout the year. 
what like how how many bottles worldwide do you know that they I would, wouldn't know you don't yeah, know okay I, I, no. but but large large enough that there's 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 stock and there's quantity to be had just so long as it, it gets obviously sent to the markets that are interested i suppose right yeah and i think so i was just going to say what what just to go on what Stone has said there i think the 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 mis- the whiskey makers have done an amazing thing here for two things i think it i think it would have been as much as our big fans are probably hold our big perhaps in a bit more critical of an eye than maybe some other distilleries it is a big name mm-hmm. it's a big name on Ireland. it's a big name in the whiskey world so that's to be expected You've got those people there that I believe are satisfied with what the whiskey whiskey creators have done. The other thing, though, and Sean had mentioned it there about how it could be fantastic for people who are new to Scotch whiskey or new to smoky whiskey. That's that challenge the whiskey makers have had, and I think that's that's the biggest part because there's one thing to make a good smoky whiskey that Arbeg's known for. I think most people who like Arbeg would already like the wee beastie, but to also introduce people who are new to the category, I think that there is the biggest achievement that they've done. Well, and we did, we actually did a little blind, um, just group tasting with, with a few people from around here being, uh, uh, Travis from Edmonton Scotch club and Josh know your whiskey and Nicole and our, our buddy Graham and stuff. But one of the blind, uh, samples that I sent everyone was, or sent everyone was the Art Bag Wee Beastie, and right, right before anybody could say anything, Josh came out and was just like, "I love this." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "I'm not even sure what it is yet, but I love this." So, and and tasting it blind, right? You can always, you can contribute a little bit more to to what your true feeling is for that whiskey because you because you're not kind of clouded by by all the other information. So right, right there. And, and Josh, Josh is a, he's a, he's a Peter whiskey fan. He's an art big fan. And for him to just come out and just boldly be like, bam, this, this is a great whiskey. Then that, that tells me that there's no messing around here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, it was, I laughed. <laughs> he we were like, okay, we'll, we'll get into the next one. He's like, I like it. I like yeah. it. I like this. <laughs> yeah. Should we go on to the next dram? Uh, I'm already there and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Usually when we do those things, Josh is like one or two, two trams ahead of everybody else. Cause he just can't help himself. But <laughs> Oh man, his review of the cake was hilarious. I didn't actually, I didn't even, I didn't see that one, but <laughs> you got to watch it. It's funny. <laughs> is it? We're still it's one of the, one of the best reviews I've ever seen. The way, the way I described it is you could put the review on mute and you can still see how much that they're loving it. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, when he just came out and was just like pineapples, yeah, pineapples. I was like, okay, I need a bottle and it sucks because it got released here in the city and I was gone over Christmas. So I never, it was like released right before Christmas. So I never got a chance to have a bottle, but thankfully our, friend of the club ryan Enkin from wine and beyond reached out and he said they're going to be stocking it in the beginning of february so i'm going to be keeping my eyes out for it and trying to get myself a couple bottles so we can talk a little bit about the cake honestly it's it's the other newest release um along with our bag from the two distilleries uh what so what's your what's your take on that take us take us on where i guess where the idea came from and and maybe what your thoughts are uh, yeah, yeah. So Glamorangy uh, Tale of Cake is a limited edition. It's not like our big five-year-old wee beastie where it's going to be part of the core range. That's it's, true. This is one of our one-off special editions. And this one here is really, really from the mind of Dr. Bill Lumsden. Um, so one of the things that I've been really fascinating in my time at Glamorangy is getting to really, really see the mind of how our whiskey makers work 
it's for me, I always thought like because there's so much science that goes on when you're a whiskey maker, because they are scientists. And I think if they had a goal of creating a whiskey with certain flavors, I'm confident they could do that. However, Dr. Bill's been interesting to learn a little bit about uh, and from because he's made me realize that when you're a whiskey maker, the science part of it is only part of the story. The creativity is just as important. And the way that he sort of thinks about his whiskeys is not necessarily, I want to go out and make a whiskey that's got lemon flavors and strawberry flavors, or in our best case, smoky bacon flavors or whatever. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's more to do with his uh, emotional, maybe emotional attachment to a certain flavor. Maybe it's a memory that he's had. And really the best example of it is Glenmorangia Tale of Cake. This was inspired by his his uh, tales of having cake with his grandmother all the way back in the day and in more recent times. And it says this on the back of the packaging, which I think is great, just like him sharing pineapple cake with his daughter, Alex. <laughs> and it's more the, the idea, how is it you, how can you do that? I've got this idea of making a whiskey, which is going to remind me of eating cake. And that's the most bizarre thing, I think, for, for a lot of it. But how he's done it, he's got all the science background. He's got a lot of the the uh, wine cask background as well from all the experiments and innovation that he's been known for. And he jumped out there and just started to use hung- cask from Hungary, which used to hold uh, Toki. Tokai or Toki, however you want to pronounce it, wine. And that's quite a sweet wine. Yeah. And that's part of it. But I also think that he knew with the kind of the oak you're using, which would be Hungarian oak, it's going to give a different dimension. It's not just a sweet whiskey you're getting. You're getting this whiskey with a fair amount of body and really distinctive flavors. So I, I, I was, I was blown away when, when I, when I heard about the project and actually heard Dr. Bill talk about it in terms of what he tried to do. And none of it was necessarily about let's make a whiskey with papaya and mango and vanilla. It's just him talking about this ideal that he had years ago. <laughs> it's it's been a very infectious release. Like as soon as I feel as soon as, especially when it hit North America and through the states and stuff like that, it has been popping up everywhere, which is always torture for us here because it seems like we're all the always the last one to get it. But it's yeah, I don't know. It's been torturing me, and I will get my hands on a bottle. I am like, I'm dedicated to it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because like when Josh, especially like after their review and they talked about the Tokai casks. Um, and I've, I've now noticed just in like one or two that I've come across online or whatever. And it makes me like interested in try and see another distillery that use those casks, Mm -hmm. like what it would do to another spirit. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to taste it soon and hopefully secure a bottle or two. Yeah. Even that, like the Hungarian Oak always, it always kind of provides a weird, a, a weird characteristic to whiskey as well. Um, the, the first one that comes to mind is a, a bareface, right? Bareface Canadian whiskey. They use a Hungarian oak in the in, in somewhere in the maturation there, and it, it just adds it just adds a real peculiar quality to it, which is kind of interesting. I don't really know much about it though. Well, I talked to Doctor Bill about it, and this is actually his second attempt at using uh, Tokay casks. Um, He's a massive wine fan. He says that whiskey is his job and wine is his hobby. And he himself, being a fan of Sauternes wine, which I'm not saying it's the same, but there are similar flavors there because both of them are quite sweet. Mm-hmm. And using Toki was something that he really liked the idea of. However, when you're when you're maturing a whiskey in an ex-wine cask, the wine part of it is only part of the issue. And Hungarian, generally speaking, 
it's quite what I've what I've heard at least. I'm not an expert in this, but what I've heard yeah. from the whiskey makers is that it's notoriously difficult to use because it's it's it carries different sorts of tannins than what you generally get in American oak or even French oak, which is okay. a bit more common. So to use a cask where you're only probably going to be getting 20 of them to put your spirit into, all it takes is a couple of them to maybe uh, not really work out that well. And before you know it, you've got a challenge in your hand. You've got less of your spirit to actually use. And the flavor you're going for might be remarkably different. And Dr. Bell said that he actually tried to use them like a good number of years ago. And it was the first time he actually experimented with them. And when the spirit was in the cask for, I believe, if I remember right, I think he said the spirit was in the cask for, after being in American Oak for a while, for about a year. And he said it was going really well. He thought this is going to work. Mm-hmm. But after like a year and six months, the cask had dramatically impacted the flavor. The way he described it was, it was still a good whiskey. It just wasn't a Glenmorangie. Ah, didn't, it wasn't capturing the true essence of Glenmorangie. Okay, that yeah, makes that's, sense. That's interesting. Interesting, yeah. So... If you could be an ambassador for any other brand or portfolio, what would you choose? Yeah, I can see both your faces looking so mischievous. <laughs> I know. We're like organizing the questions in, in each other's heads without actually talking yeah, <laughs> and yeah. interrupting you. But this is this is one that I know we've both been kind of interested in because we're we're here just as much as we're here to talk about your brands. We're also here to talk about you. Right. And we, we want to get to know whiskey bry in, in a hole so yeah i think that i think what i've learned from my job at the and and as an big ambassador is uh the, the the you have to be in you have to love it you really have to love it and it could be if you don't love the the whiskies that are there you won't be able to carry it off and also as well it's a story as well so there's a couple of distilleries in scotland that i absolutely adore um certainly uh, I, I think a lot of people that know me know that I'm a fan of some of these whiskey distilleries or maybe uh, you don't really see a single malt. So I'm a fan of Glen Lossy and Glen Talkers and things like that. I'm a, I think every whiskey fan should be a fan of Springbank as well. But I must say, I, I, I would, if there's, if there's a distillery out there that I'd love to be brand ambassador for at one point in my life, it would actually be a Canadian distillery. And I think everyone knows what it's going to be. Probably Shelter Point. Ah, um, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been given a, a, a title which my boss hates is uh, the unofficial ambassador for Shelter Point because I've been a massive fan of theirs ever since I tried the, the whiskies years ago. But I must say, I think uh, when I always, I've always tried to find a, a, a Canadian whiskey that I absolutely adore all their range, but also as well the ethos of what they're doing is fantastic. So I I hope that I never leave my job at Glenmore and GNR Big. So maybe the best idea could maybe get our company to buy Shelter Point or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get them to buy them. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. I'm. I'm sure they'd be happy if you knocked on their door and 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 told them that you wanted to hop on board. But across the Canadian landscape of whiskeys right now, Shelter Point is definitely there, and they're literally on an island, but they're also kind of an, on on an island of their own with with what they're producing. They're producing a very interesting spirit. I love that coastal uh, dynamic that they get in it, and I, like I don't. I don't blame you whatsoever. And it's also something that I really like about you is that your passion doesn't stop at the brands because when you're, you're, you're also out there personally and you're right, you're, you're going to be adventuring whiskey throughout, not, not just through Glenmorangie and Arbeg, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, exactly. And you know, us being out West, we've obviously had a little more influence from shelter point for longer. And we laugh cause we see people in Ontario now and you know, they're just discovering it. <laughs> 
<laughs> we actually had it on an episode before and um you know they're like oh i've discovered this new whiskey and i'm giving you all permission to drink it and we're like what we've been drinking it for five years <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's you know it's it's also it's 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 a good thing for canadian whiskey that it is expanding across the country and everybody is getting to try it same with you know the the distilleries that are on the east coast you know they do make their way out to alberta and we do get to try them so for canadian whiskey fans it's definitely a a, a good thing yeah, there's some real buzz around what Shelter Point is doing, and it's really exciting to kind of to to follow along and uh, enjoy the ride. I just uh, I must have to say I don't know if anyone if you noticed on my camera there, but one of my boxes of Glenmorangie had fallen over and hit me on the arm there. So obviously I've been talking about Shelter Point too much, and this is something <laughs> reminding me to, it's the whi- <laughs> to get back, back on brand. The whiskey gods, yeah, <laughs> exactly, punishing you for. <laughs> so we've, we're we're kind of talking about how obviously you and the ambassador that you are of of whiskey and so i'm I'm curious of like what's been one of your favorite whiskey moments since becoming an ambassador yeah i think the, the the biggest turning point i think for me was when i started to do the whiskey festival circuit and realize how close the community is in canada uh, my first month in the job, as much as I got to travel around certain parts of Canada and I get to do my first taste things, a lot of it was more back of house stuff, which I was learning so much about the about the two distilleries. And all of that was all it pent up. I was like, okay, now I have, I'm ready to go and be unleashed on Canada. <laughs> and the first time I did the whiskey festival circuit, I... I, I, I felt I felt so good about it because it reminded me so much of the community back home in Scotland is that there's so much respect for all of this, all the distilleries. And if you go around to one whiskey festival, you see how much the friendship is between all the people, or all the guests that are going to the whiskey festivals, the people who are friends from, say, out in Alberta, when the ambassadors come and the different suppliers are going to be there, everyone's there to have a good time. They're all there in a total respectful way. And it's fun and it's friendly because that's what Scotch whiskey is and whiskey in general. And I think if it, if I if I did that circuit and never got that really welcoming feeling, it would be a different job. So I definitely say that the first time that I did that circuit and got to make so many other friends and people who are who I who I truly believe that as much as I'm a brand ambassador and there's other brand ambassadors in Canada, there's people who whiskey enthusiasts who go to these festivals all across Canada and even put on the festivals. Because a lot of people do it mm-hmm. not to make money, but a lot of the money goes towards charity. Absolutely, those are ambassadors as well, and that's something that I really do have to take my hat off for Canada. Because as I said, I thought that happened all over the world, and talking to some of my colleagues across the world, Canada's quite special for that. What um, do you have in? Do you have like some favorite stops along the way that you that you look forward to more than others? Not not saying that they're all not fantastic, but you you obviously everyone's got to have their favorite. <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, and this is where I, I get in trouble because someone's going to say that like, I left someone out. But ah, uh, that's okay. Yeah. But I will say that I think the, the the New Brunswick Spirit Show, the Victoria Spirit Festival, and if it if it is still well, if it hopefully it still will go on the Cornwall Whiskey Show as well. I think those three of them are are wonderful, and not necessarily because they're different in terms of. The people are organizing it because you have to have passion to organize a whiskey festival. There's so much work involved and you have to be passionate. And every whiskey festival does that. But those ones there are pretty special because I occasionally get to have my friends from Scotland who are coming over because they have guests uh, 
some distillers will come over from Scotland. You'll actually have some brand ambassadors and things like that from Scotland coming over as well. And when they come over, they themselves get to see what I've been talking about in terms of how cool Canada is. Mm-hmm. And I remember that um, I've, I think it was a Cornwall show. I was talking to a couple of friends uh, back home in Scotland who work at different di- distilleries, and they were saying they were happy just to come over as guests. They didn't actually ha- they don't want to go for work. They wanted just <laughs> to come over to go to the festival. It was that cool. So, so certainly those free, but at the same time. Any any anyone that puts on a whiskey show, regardless of it, uh, hats off to them. Without without those whiskey shows and the passion involved and the great organisation involved, the industry wouldn't be the same. For sure, there, there's a I, I would say there's a great show in in every city. And if you haven't been to a whiskey festival, then I, yeah, I, I'd recommend going to them because it's it's an experience all on its own, and it's it is really cool being able to go from table to table and meet kind of all the the passionate ambassadors of all these brands and there is so many brands to explore uh you you finally get a moment in that room to explore it all just a little bit by little bit kind of thing and then you like especially for new whiskey drinkers like when the with the ms festival here in in the city i always recommend just get a ticket to that festival and just go like if you want to find your palate you want to find where you want to take your whiskey journey that's going to be a massive stepping stone yeah, exactly. There's nowhere else that you're going to be able to, you know, pay a nominal fee and especially the ones that go to charity, you're supporting a good cause and then yeah. you get to try, you know, as many as you can or want without, you know, sometimes too many, Yeah, but sometimes too many, but <laughs> a know, lot of them, you know, if you, like you said, if you want to find your palate, you want to know you're, you're getting a quarter ounce pour usually, and you don't even have to finish that. Like you just taste it. And a lot of people don't even drink it. They'll just taste it and swish it. Swish yeah. It and then, you know, there's places you can dump it out and wash your glass out. But yeah. Um, yeah. Like in my whiskey journey, the, the few festivals that I went to, it definitely helped. It, it helped me explore my own palate and find what I liked and what I didn't like. And then the next one you go to, you know, which ones to go to first. Cause you know, Bry's always has a lineup. So if you want to, you know, shake the hand of the, most beautiful man in the place you got to line up and, <laughs> or, or spend that little extra on the vip so you can go hang out with bry for an hour before everybody else comes in this but is yeah. sean waiting till the next time i get to edmonton i've got a, a bottle under the table <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's buttering you up right now <laughs> but no it's it's true like you you know and especially with the with the passionate brand ambassadors you you get that from them when you talk to them face to face and for most people that's the only chance you get is at the festival yeah and the more the more passionate ones always have the busiest tables yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> right so if uh if you had to pick a place whether scotland or in canada your favorite place that you've been able to enjoy a dram of whiskey what would you what would you go with with there yeah so i'll, I'll give one that might be a little bit of a wild card uh, for for some people listening, um, obviously there's some of the, the usual suspects across Canada, but certainly one of my favourite places to go to in Canada when it comes to getting to connect with the whiskey community or just go to a bar and enjoy a dram, which is probably my favourite thing to do, is Halifax. Um, Halifax has got an amazing whiskey community, and as much as that itself, maybe Halifax wouldn't be necessarily known as having it's been a massive place for population. Um, there's a number of fantastic whiskey clubs out there. And also as well, the bartending community out there is second to none. And again, it's a big thing for me when people get along. <laughs> and it's, again, me just trying to hope that everyone is friends with each other. <laughs> but in Halifax, that's what it is. And I've done a, I've been over there a few times for work and it never feels at work. I'll be doing 
uh, some seminars and some training sessions. And the good thing about it is that from what I've said, that knowledge that I hopefully that I'll be able to pass on to the bartending community, it sticks and it goes across the city. And people always want to help each other out. There's not necessarily the same sort of competition as much as what you maybe get in other places. Nowhere near as cutthroat. And to me, that's what I love. I love the idea that when I go into a bar in Halifax, people will ask me, where were you before? And I'll say it and they'll ask me, oh, so who, How was that person there? Was that person there? And they'll recommend <laughs> me to go to other places as well. So I think that little bit of community is something that's really important to me and linking up the idea of having a dram in a pub. I think you always have to have that. I don't think it's necessarily about the selection you've got behind the bar. That's obviously kind of important, mm-hmm. but I think the actual feeling of the place of where you're drinking is more important. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Especially like in Edmonton here, we're pretty limited to whiskey specialist bars or pubs and stuff. And yeah, there's not many. Yeah. There's like maybe a handful. And even then the past year and a half or so, you know, it's been very limited to what we can get out to, you know, some of them are boxing up Burns dinners for tonight and, you know, you can buy a flight of whiskey with it. And I thought that was pretty cool. You know, they're not able to celebrate it in person, but they're still, helping people celebrate it. So I will say, I will say one thing as well, like, cause I, I do live in Toronto um, and I will say that there's a bar here, which I think is, I think if it's not world famous, it's certainly famous across Canada and that's the Caledonian. Yeah. And the Caledonian is a place that I didn't realize how much that I needed the Caledonian until I went there the first time, like myself <laughs> being an immigrant from Scotland yeah. and I was having a Scottish pub on my doorstep is something that as soon as I walked in the door, I'm like, wow, I missed this. I didn't realize that how much I needed this. And that's somewhere I would 100% recommend. If anyone's going to Toronto and you like whiskey, your first stop, and maybe your only stop should be the Caledonian. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a great, it's a great pub or great bar, honestly. I've been there only a couple of times and I really, really love it there. Um, one similar to that would be like in Calgary, Buchanan's is, uh, is a really, really good one to visit as well. Uh, a lot, tons of selection. Like they have an unreal selection of whiskey there. Uh, just good vibe. And you go there with a few people, you can lose yourself in the evening pretty quickly. Um, we do know that you're a big beer and cocktail fan. So if you had to pick, say, uh, a favorite style of beer or a favorite cocktail that you would make, you know, if we come to Toronto and visit you, what you would whip up for us? Uh, I will say something that's me whipping it up. Like I'm, I'll be able to make like a maybe a highball. Maybe that's the, as far as I can go. But I'm never gonna win. I'm never gonna win like a cocktail competition. But my favorite cocktail is actually I think there's there's a couple certainly with our brands that will sort of do. I mean, I I think everyone, if you're a whiskey fan, I think most people like an old fashioned. And I will say that most most whiskeys, realistic, if it's good, it'll work an old fashioned. Yeah, but, totally. But 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 more than ten year old old fashioned is like one of the easiest ones to start a night off on. Or something a bit more complex. Um, I do like a whiskey sour made with Arbeg 10. I have tried it with Arbeg Wee Beastie and it works just as well. So having a whiskey sour with Arbeg is lovely as well. Um, however, one of the ones that really surprised me, and it was my first day at work actually, uh, my boss is notoriously uh, tight. He's not, he doesn't really spend any money, especially, and, and I got told this, I got told this that. Um, if he ever offers you a drink, take it. It might be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so I first day at work and he um, he said, okay, well, uh, we'll have some Caesars. And I was never a big fan of Caesars, really. But it's an Ardbeg Caesar. And I thought, 
it's my ah. only chance of having my boss buy me a drink. I better take it. Yeah. It was lovely. I was, I was so surprised. So having an Arbeg Caesar is one that, if you want to surprise someone, that's probably the one that I would say. Um, I know for beer you had mentioned there as well. Uh, my types of beer change quite a lot. There is some amazing breweries all across Canada, and uh, a lot. And I, I'm very open with my my bosses and stuff like that. I think that this is something that there's a huge connection to in terms of the Scotch whiskey making and mm-hmm. I do see in the community as well. And some of the, some of the, the breweries I've, I've, I've sampled across Canada, I mean, absolutely brilliant. My favorite type of beer is probably towards like a Saison, the farmhouse style. Okay. I, mean, I think we're really lucky to have breweries like Stillwell again out in Halifax, a Bird Dock, which is actually here in Toronto. Yep. And there's numerous others, of course. Yeah. They're all over the place. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, the, the community here for, for beer is great. No matter where I am in Canada, I can get a good pint, which is important. Well, the like Canadian craft beer community, they, they actually win a lot of awards and stuff worldwide. Uh, it's actually quite impressive, but it's it's a very talented community for sure. And there's like when you go like wine and beyond here, their craft beer selection is like I get lost in there more sometimes longer than I get lost in a whiskey aisle, but at least in the whiskey aisle, I know what I'm looking for right in the beer aisle. There's so many different cans and brands and stuff like that. But th- this time of year, I'm all about the the stouts, the porters, the like the, the darker stuff for sure. And th- it's just, it's endless as far as what the options are. Yeah. I, I'm a dark beer fan year round. So yeah. I, that's usually what I'll go for, but yeah, a good milk stout for me, especially in the winter, is uh, definitely what I lean towards. Well, and Art Artbags put out some beer recently, didn't they? they yes, it was a stout or a porter or something like that. Yep, yep. It was a it was a porter. A it porter. was um, so this was in in collaboration with a fantastic company in Scotland uh, called Brugader, and it was only for the UK. It was only a limited release. It was partly a bit of fun, but at the same time, it was to raise some money for charity. Uh, Brugader themselves, all the beer they have uh, is for charity. You know, it's connected to an, an actual an, an actual brewery that makes money, but the Brugader side of it is to raise mm-hmm. money for quite a lot of charities connected to people to get clean running water, especially. Um, so Arbeg were invited along to maybe do this project and it was partly something that we'd never really done before and part of it they say it was quite lighthearted, but my word the demand for it was unreal and I even got a message today from someone in Canada who had spotted someone who's a friend in Australia had one <laughs> and it's like <laughs> he said hey can we going to get this here in Canada I'm like I have no idea how it even got to Australia never mind it's not going to come here so. <laughs> yeah. yeah but it popped up like I even noticed that it popped up in some auctions in the UK, right? So once it pops up in an auction, it can really get anywhere from there. But it was crazy for like a because f- it came in four packs and they're just regular size cans. Like in auction, it was going for like a hundred bucks for a four pack of beer, which like is 100 just pounds. a hundred pounds. Sorry, yeah. which is just <laughs> insanity. I'm sure it's good, but you're not going to find me paying a hundred hundred pounds for that. And but our bag also. You get you have a lot of collectors. You got all kinds of all kinds of drinkers and purchasers, I guess, in the mix when it comes to our bag. Um, so let's uh, since we're back on our bag, let's uh, <laughs> let's enjoy uh, Anno or An. Yeah. Am I saying that right? No. No. <laughs> no. Anno. You know, this, there's just certain things like I lay, and so even though I know it's wrong, I always say it just because I like to English or Canadian English, the crap out of things. So, but. so, so far, it, you've, you've messed up Glen, Glenmore and G. 
Yeah, well, that, that's <laughs> you, just what I do. You messed up Anoa. <laughs> at least you tomato, said, tomato. At least come you said on. Ardbeg, right? <laughs> Ard- <laughs> yeah, Ardbeg, right? Ardbeg. Okay. Or Ardbog. Ar- that's a yeah, whole other that, Yeah, that's that's an actual whiskey and a very good one at that. But um, take us take us on the the journey of Anoa. <laughs> <laughs> So, Anno is uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful whiskey. I think this is a whiskey that I, I admittedly uh, have said this. When I first tried it, um, I didn't give it enough credit because initially I thought it was a really nice whiskey. It was some distinctive notes in there and I found it to be a lovely rounded whiskey. However, in more recent times, I've actually got to know it a little bit better. And I do like to use that term, getting to know the whiskey, because first things first, if you enjoy the whiskey, great. And I certainly did enjoy the Anno when I first tried it. However, in terms of notes that you sometimes get in a whiskey that really excite someone who's a whiskey enthusiast, it's try to remember where you're getting these notes from. And I think the Anno, for me, has got, out of all the Arbeg core range, to me it's got some of the most herbaceous notes. And herbal notes in whiskey is something that I love because they're unusual. However, trying to remember what they are or what you've tasted or had the, the aroma of those herbal notes, it's a little bit tougher to do, especially last year when we were all in lockdown because you never really got to go outside much. <laughs> and, and, I, and I remember uh, finally getting out and going, going for like a little bit of a hike uh, as much as you can in Toronto. And it totally brought me back memories, though, of when I was hiking in Scotland, this idea of when you're walking through like a forest and there's lots of moss on the ground and mm-hmm. every step you're taking, you're getting this aroma coming up and you probably don't, I personally didn't take notice of it at the time of what it is apart from just foresty, but it's certainly something that I love. I love that idea of like all the aroma from the trees or the bushes and the moss. And I didn't even notice until probably the start of last year that the animal actually has got quite a lot of that inside it. And as soon as I cracked into that, this is, this is a, completely different whiskey now because I've actually been able to like find out what they are. <laughs> the, the way the way it's made is that um, so our whiskey creation team were challenged uh, partly by Dr. Bill Lumsden to, and it's Gillian and Brendan that really had to work on this together and the idea about it is they were using three different types of cask. Brendan said that he tried uh, straight out the cask some Ardbeg which had been matured in sweet PX casks and he said it was absolutely lovely. However, because the sweet PX casks were kind of like so intense with flavor, it was almost like the balance wouldn't have been there. So you're trying to get other casks that are going to balance out to make sure you've got the smokiness that a lot of people love in our bag, along with the sweetness you get with the PX. And the way that they sort of put it together was using PX casks, charred virgin oak from America, mm-hmm. and also ex-bourbon casks in the same variety of what you would get in our big 10. And the whole thing here is trying to get that balance. And Brendan says that this was like kind of one of the first whiskies Brendan worked on. So for him, it was a big deal. And he said, they put all the whiskies together and Dr. Bill tried it out and said, Brendan, it's good, but something's missing. <laughs> and Brendan obviously <laughs> is sweating. He's oh, like, he's absolutely. been given this amazing job. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, what about, how am I going to impress Dr. Bill? But Dr. Bill was kind of like, we're not adding anything apart from time. So what he said was, these are massive flavors. They need time to marry together. So what they did was, they actually went to the bosses and said, what this would work fantastic in is if we can have some a vat separate to everything else at our big for the for the anno, 
And then what we can do is we can have the three different types of cask put into the, the big vat and just let them marry together for a number of months. Now, to me, that's something that I found so fascinating because we talk so much about just the cask idea mm-hmm. in terms of, oh, it's got three different types of cask. And according to Brendan, the idea of it actually having in the gathering vat is a hugely important part about what makes the annual come together. And something that I really think, having, having heard him say it, having understood the whiskey a lot more now, it all kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's really cool because you talk about like there's all kinds of blending of cast to create expressions and stuff like that, but to actually blend it and then now give it time to marry together right to really 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 blend the flavors of the different casts and stuff like that is really really cool and it's a like it's a french show fat, yeah, like right. fatting so, cast right so i will be clear on it so it's although the whiskies are in there you won't necessarily get any more like maturation or aging necessarily there won't be any sort of oak influence yeah uh, from the i'm part in the same way a barrel wood but the fact they're sitting in there and having just like air passing through the wood is a huge part of it and also just sitting together. So you're you're that there is something that, you know, you you you're you're having to be like a really good whiskey mind to see if that's worth it or not. Yeah, for sure. And the proof's in the pudding. I think it's it's really done well. I, I think it's a I think it's a wonderful whiskey. And I I really I I've been really nice hearing of a lot of people who have went back to revisit it. Because a lot of people try a whiskey at first and then they go back to it. And I certainly think that it's a it's different to the rest of the the Arbeg core range, and for anyone though, I think who's either quite new to the into the the category, or even or new to Arbeg, for example, you're going to get something different here to what you're going to get on the ten year old the Ugadal or the Wee Yeah, they re- I think they re- do a really really good job of those kind of four that all sit in the same value range um, to create like completely different profiles on all four of them so you can it's it's kind of a different adventure on their on their own um as far as like like what are, what do you think that the average kind of age of the malts are, are, they, are they, is it different than what oogie or or Corey are uh yeah so although there's not an age statement on this one yeah. uh, the the way that uh, dr bill has said to me if, if, if you don't see an age statement on an art bag the minimum is going to be about eight years old so it's there now the reason why we didn't put an A statement on it. Is it kind of makes sense when it's when you say it out loud. Um, <laughs> the casks we're using, especially the charred virgin oak and the PS casks, like you're probably going to see, those are probably going to be younger than the ex bourbon casks we're using in this whiskey. Mm-hmm. However, they're probably the most expensive part to it. So <laughs> if you're if you're if you're putting together the ano compared to the ten euro, the ano is probably a more expensive whiskey to put together due to the price of casks. So. If we did happen to do it, we've got a 10-year-old on the market at one price, then the higher up price is an big, say, eight years old. It may not necessarily <laughs> it would, accept. No, no I, gonna buy it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't market well, that's for sure. Yeah. But we're quite, we're quite transparent about it. Um, the way that uh, Brendan has said to it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's two ways with big. You know, the Anno, the Ugadal, and the Corey Brecken, for example, are fantastic examples of good whiskies in their own right. Um, maybe the age statement wouldn't necessarily tell the whole story, but we do want to be transparent when we can. So if you do ask us, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. My boss has given me free reign to give information that's not on the label. Which is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, that's just, it's like a little extra transparency, which is what I think that's what we all as whiskey, whiskey nerds and enthusiasts 
want more than anything. Yeah, exactly. You know, if there's transparency on the labels, that's one thing, but to be able to reach out and there's very few distilleries that have that back and forth. Yeah, for sure. And I've reached out to, I've reached out to other ambassadors and, and people that work for other brands and I've asked them a question and they'll just straight up tell me, I can't tell you that. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> thanks. No, thanks. <laughs> what are you hiding then? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Without, I, I tend to shy away from those brands because I, I enjoy transparency in, in, in what, what they're creating. Yeah, exactly. And with the Anno, Anno, um, I was the same way, you know, I tried the whole core range and not that it was my least favorite. It was the one I spent the least amount of time getting to know. But now that this is the second time we've tried it on here and I have a bottle at home, I, I reach for it way more than I ever thought I would. I, I got it to complete the, <laughs> the collection. And then <laughs> now it's, it's probably yeah. the furthest down just cause I do like going back to it. Yeah. It's, it's an excellent, honestly, it's an excellent whiskey. And, and, and you're, you're right with that, like for base, that kind of like when you're walking through a forest right after it's rained kind of thing, right. You just get that, that like soaked forest floor characteristic of it, which is really, really cool. Yeah. I, I like it too. So with your time in Scotland going back and forth and when you live there, um, you've obviously probably visited some distilleries, which, uh, which of the, of the ones that you've been to has been your favorite? I'll give, I'll give two short answers. I think number one, I've been very fortunate to go to all of the Isla distilleries with exception to Ardenaho, um, obviously that's the newest one. And uh, I'm not close enough friends with them yet for them to let me in. So I'll, uh, <laughs> but hopefully the next time. So all of the Isla distilleries are great. I think that if you go to Isla, uh, don't just make time to go to your favorite Isla distilleries. If there's ones you've not experienced enough of, make time for all of them. They've all got their all amazing story. Um, on the mainland, uh, I was very fortunate that I got to go to Tomatin Distillery. Uh, that was in 2019. Me and the Hit Flask Hiking Club went along. And it was a fantastic uh, distillery tour because Tomatins changed so much over the years and they were completely transparent about the changes of it. They never, they, when I walked in there, the tour wasn't, we've made whiskey the same way since day one. They actually were talking about all the changes that has happened in the strategy and things like that. That's it's cool. a very refreshing tour. A very, very refreshing tour. Yeah, I bet. Um, Tomatin for me, I'm not like a huge, I'm not a Tomatin fanboy or anything like that, but they are, they are my juice box dram. Like they just, I feel like everything they create is just like chuggable, deliciously fruity whiskey right even even some of their cast strength single cast stuff is just i could just pound that stuff it's dangerous and it's it comes it's a shelf at a, at a decent price and I, th- I think they do a really good job and and like you said that transparency was re- probably really really interesting to go in there and and actually be told exactly the path they right the path the path that they travel to get to where they are now that's cool yeah I totally agree. But to hear that there are tours that say, you know, we've changed this and this and this, and this is why that's, yeah, that's totally, totally cool aspect of that tour for sure. Sticking to the tours. What's the, like, what's the more interesting thing or what's, what's been the funnest experience you've had at the Glen Morangi and Arbeg distilleries? Uh, yeah, I, I've been treated so much. I I'm sure. Say. Yeah. I, re- I really have. Um, and I think part of it is just be the, I remember the first time, I'd, I'd went to uh, Glenmore and Jane Ardbeg and they treat you like family straight away. I keep pronouncing that wrong. 
I thought you were doing it on purpose. I might be. See, it's just in my head that I just have to like, <laughs> I just have to pronounce things wrong just to bug people. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> so Glenmorangie and our big Glenmorangie. Uh, just think orangey, just orangey, 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 Glenmorangie. <laughs> uh, so yeah, both times uh, when it, well, so when I went to Glenmorangie and our big for the first time. Uh, it was just like just being treated like part of the family immediately. And I was like, this is absolutely, I'm so, so honored. You know, like these are two unbelievable distilleries and so many people have amazing experiences with them. And the fact that it sort of just treated me as if like, okay, you're one of us now was a real massive feeling. And I think if I was going for either of them, it's a fantastic, uh, a fantastic story, which and I, and I hope this doesn't seem as if I'm, I'm boasting. But one of the most amazing experiences was actually with a group of friends from Alberta, who I think everyone knows is from Barrel to Bottle. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so from Barrel to Bottle, uh, we're over in Scotland, and I was uh, very honoured. I, I, I said I need to go on this trip with them because they are friends of mine, and we went to Glenmorangie, and I'd, and I, I was myself that was uh, was taking them around the distillery, and I said to the people at the at the tour centre, I said, you know, it'd be really nice just after the tour. Is it okay uh, to have like some drums lined up? We'll do the tour. We'll have some drums afterwards. And they said, sure. Here's a wee second. And they pulled me back and they said, oh, here you are. Here's the key. And I said, what's the key for? And they said, the warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go cut that key? So I took this and I, I said to the lads, I'm like, okay, we've got some drums that are going to be afterwards. <laughs> so we're enjoying ourselves at this tour, but we know at the back of our head, it's like, we're going to have to go to the warehouse. We're going to go to the warehouse afterwards, and it's so funny. I think it was Brad from Bar to Bottle was like taking a photo of me, like opening it, and my hand is like shaking because it was such a big <laughs> moment for me to actually open the warehouse. Oh, there. I'm sure. So, so I can't, I can't, I can't. I don't, I don't think it gets like uh, much better than that. Being able to open the the door of Glenmorangie's warehouse to have some drums with my friends. <laughs> no kidding. That that would be amazing. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking that. Uh, Maybe the three of us should take a trip out there sometime. <laughs> we'll bring the equipment. We'll do a podcast right in the warehouse. <laughs> like some of that. <laughs> I, think, I think that's great. If, if, they, if they give me the key again, I, I obviously, we obviously behaved ourselves the last time. So. so it's promising for sure. And I've, I've heard that from a lot of people that uh, how welcoming, especially the, the Glen Morangi um, distillery has been. <laughs> So, uh, Bri, what's in your glass? Right, not right now. We obviously <laughs> know what's in your glass right now. But uh, most frequently lately for you, what have you been pouring yourself? Yeah, so I've our big we beastie quite a lot, and I'd probably say since I got my hands on some actual bottles of that, uh, that's been the one that I've been sharing with my friends and having at home. Probably more than more often than not, uh, I recently actually got a bottle of another special release liquid, Morangi have released it, released it last year and it's only now you're starting to see it and that was the Glenmorangie Cadball Estate 15 years. I only got my bottle about, I guess it was only about a week and a half ago, I think it arrived. And that's one that I got to try in Scotland in 2019 and it's only now that I'm getting to, <laughs> to get a bottle of it. So I've cracked that open. I'm very much enjoying that. Uh, I know that you had asked in terms of other distillers and things like that as well. So in terms of what I've recently been enjoying, I've been kind of going back through my collection to some of the the more easily available whiskies which you can get. 
And I've, I, I'm not trying to big up tomato too much. I'm not trying to look for a job or anything, but I have uh, been quite enjoying uh, my tomato legacy as well, which is their virginal expression. So, yeah, highly recommended. Um, is there so where uh, where else would you go besides Scotch? Like, what's your what's your the next whiskey genre that you would uh, venture into next? Um, as I said, I do like Canadian whiskey. Um, I think that. Distiller, I mean, obviously, I mentioned Shelter Point. I think Eau Claire in Alberta is a really promising distillery. I think that's, mm-hmm. I really wish we could get some more of that here. Uh, a bit closer to, to home here, I always get excited to see what the team at Wisers are creating every year as well. And there's a, I, I, I do have one bottle left of Wisers Legacy, which I, which I had a, a wee dram of over New Year. And that was certainly one that I really enjoyed. So I would say to Canadian whiskey is probably what I go to mm-hmm. uh, quite a lot after scotch. Awesome. I'd like to maybe um, talk about Mickey. And if you do, you, do you have any, do you have any Mickey stories or because he seems, he just seems like such a, such an interesting character and, and you don't, we don't get to see a ton of them. There's, there's like videos and stuff like that, but I'm curious if you've had any kind of had any funny experiences with him and, and uh, yeah, I could speak to that. Yeah, yeah. So Mickey Heads is our former distillery manager, and uh, he's now been replaced by Colin Gordon. Um, the the market department came out with this amazing newsletter that said we travelled across the world to find a replacement for Mickey, and <laughs> yeah. then we stole one from next door because Colin <laughs> used to be the distillery manager of Lagavulin, the closest <laughs> distillery to Ardbeg. Um, who is great. I've, I've 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 only spoke to Colin online, but I've heard nothing but nothing but good things um, to replace someone that Mickey heads is a big deal because Mickey wasn't just a very talented uh, distillery manager uh, an amazing personality for Ardbeg and he still remains the chairman of the Ardbeg committee as well so if you do want to be a committee member you can go on the website and sign up as that and you'll get a, a little email out every so often from Mickey himself um, in terms of stories of it like I was the first time I, we went to Ardbeg uh, as, a, a, as a brand ambassador uh, one, I, I would, it's not necessarily a hilariously funny story or anything, but it was quite heartwarming that it was actually Mickey that took me took me around. Oh, and cool! It was it was it's, it's one thing when you're. I love to hear the individual stories of the people taking you around. Be yeah. it if it's someone that's only been working there for two weeks or someone that's been working there for ten years, and getting to hear Mickey's stories about how our bag had changed over the years was something that, uh, to me, everything came together. You know, he described it so matter of fact. He's, he's not usually someone. He's not really a huge fan of marketing, and <laughs> and 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 for and for a lot of times as we're taking taking ourselves around, he was very open about like some of the challenges that they've had at Ardbeg and his and his tenure there. And then afterwards, we we got to go into one of the warehouses at Ardbeg, and he took 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 us through uh, some of his favourite whiskies as well. So. Getting to hear Mickey uh, talking about his favourite whiskies, and his favourite whiskey is the same as mine, which is Ugadal. Uh, oh, nice! <laughs> so I did say to Mickey, I, I, that was one of the questions I'd asked Mickey. Like, you know, you've got all these whiskies to try, and I think he said, if he can just have Ugadal, he'd just be as happy. He just seems like a character. He just seems like a fun guy to be around. Interesting. He's obviously been in the industry for a long time, so I, it would be awesome to spend some time with someone like that. Yeah, actually, when uh, Ardbeg Day happened this year, obviously in quarantine, and yeah, nobody, it was all online. That's right. Um, you know, it was the one for the whole week of the Isla Festival that I, you know, I'd seen Whiskey Bride post about it, you know, come check this out. And then I, I watched the whole thing 
And when Mickey was talking, it was like as much must-see computer screen TV as <laughs> yeah. it Captivating was. though, yeah, right? But yeah. yeah, like, you know, he could talk for an hour and would see them in like five minutes. And, yeah. you know, he just, a gift. And yeah, obviously, hopefully he spends his time um, enjoying Oogadell and anything else and just relax now. He's obviously had a huge contribution to Ardbeg and Scotch whiskey as a whole. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, as Sean likes to ask everybody or all the guests that we have on <laughs> on this podcast. So obviously when, when COVID subsides a little bit and we are allowed to freely travel, um, when can we expect you to come to Alberta and grace us with your beautiful mug once more? I, uh, I obviously I wish I could get there as soon as possible. Um, Alberta is one of the special places uh, in my heart when it comes to whiskey. Uh, ever since I first visited there, even before I worked for Glenmorangie and Ardbeg, um, I said to my I said to my wife like, "Yeah, we're we're moving here," and she said, "Why?" I'm like, "Have you seen the whiskey shops here?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that it's, I think it's definitely going to be on the cards. Um, I think I've I've been very very honoured that. And we at Glenmorangie and Ardbeg are very honoured that we do have such an amazing uh, fan base of both the distilleries and Alberta. So I pr- I'm pretty sure when we get the green light, Alberta is going to be uh, one of, if not the first place we're going to hit. Yeah, has, has, we can only imagine what the first few festivals after this is all oh, over. They're going to sell out in an instant. <laughs> oh man, it's going to be a party. Um, Actually, before we let you go, I wanted to sidebar and maybe give you the floor to talk about uh, the hit flask club that you're part of because you see you're always you're always so excited about it and i know that you've been posting that there's going to be some exciting things coming and i think i don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that yeah and i'm very interested because obviously being a club guy runs a club myself i'm i'm always interested to see what other clubs are up to yeah, so the, the Hip Flask Hiking Club started, uh, I think it's about eight years ago now, but it all started in terms of myself and five of my friends. I do have friends. You, you, I know you'll be shocked <laughs> to hear that. But, I thought they um, were all bottles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so we, we started, at, uh, I was living in Inverness in Scotland at the time, and we just started to say, well, we drink whiskey together. Why don't we start a club? Uh, we came up with a cool name and we thought, okay, we have a name. We're it's official now. We didn't do a huge amount, don't get me wrong, for a number of years, but on one of the times that I was back in Scotland, um, I was waiting on my work visa and getting a bit bored and anxious, and I said, let's try and do something, make it bigger. <laughs> From there, we started to do tastings, we started to grow how many people we had. We never try, we're still not trying to be the, the biggest or the best, but we're certainly the weirdest. And the, last year, the amount of weird ideas that were coming out of the club was unbelievable. Like we were pairing, doing whiskey tastings we were pairing uh, with whiskeys with crisps, with like potato chips. There was all sorts. There was all sorts going on. Yeah, yeah. Very proud to say that uh, what happened last week was that we had the official uh, launch or release of our very first club bottle, which oh, is a twenty-two cool. year old blended malt. It was only for club members, but. It was, uh, it was, you can imagine how proud we were that we actually do have a bottle of whiskey with our name and label on it. And Absolutely. That's a huge thing. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And we do know something about that. Yeah. We, well, we just, <laughs> we, uh, ordered a club cast back in July and we, it just, we just received it. So, um, we, we spent all last week, uh, well, like we partnered with Whiskey Drop, which is a store, a retailer in town here. And we, we purchased a cast through the single cast, which is a small independent bottler in, yep, yep. in the UK there. 
So, um, yeah, we, we selected a 24 year old Deanston with a, uh, a just under two year PX finish to it. And it's, it's funny because we selected it and we didn't even know, we, we hadn't even tasted it. So, because there wasn't enough time, it was one of those situations where it's like, we have this cask available, but it's probably going to sell by the time we mail you samples. Do you want it? And I was just like, yes, we'll take, or I'll take it kind of thing. So luckily it's delicious and it's going over well. So, but it, but yeah, it's, it's super exciting. It's our logos on the front of it. It's, I had so many different feelings of anxiety and nervous and excitement and like i don't even know where i am right now in the room when i'm standing i haven't even opened my own bottle <laughs> like it's yeah it's 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 a fun experience and I'm, ha- I'm i'm excited to do more yeah i know yourself i know how hard that you work uh, for yourself to actually just to get the the club operating at a normal level and you know there's a huge amount of work that goes into getting a club bottle you know there's even a lot of legality of it for the, sure the price is not as simple as just having the price that you're buying it for there's a huge amount that goes into it so hats off to you to for doing that and here's hoping there's going to be more and more of it yeah i'm hoping so i, I definitely learned a lot about the obviously the like the import process and and all the extra all the extra costs that goes into it other than buying the cast like it's it, it's it's quite complicated and it was an interesting road we, we had some bumps but i'm happy it's finally here and then i can turn the page to the next one so no i, I appreciate that Brian. um i don't i don't really get anything else to add do you sean no no this was even better than the first one <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no it, it was for sure and we're we're gonna chat again brian honestly we we're, we're not lying to you when we say we told we adore you as a whiskey personality and, and just as a person and we yeah i don't know I, like i don't have enough good things to say about you honestly no exactly and you know when things open up or even like you said virtually um anybody that's out there listening hit up whiskey bry on instagram um he'll post whenever he's going to be doing anything online virtually or coming to visit us and you get a chance definitely go talk to the guy he don't be don't be you know nervous by his good looks he's very welcoming <laughs> he will talk to you and he'll spend the time to explain anything you need to know about his whiskeys and on yeah. top of that he's just a great guy to talk to so we definitely appreciate you coming on with us a second time <laughs> a second time <laughs> yeah yeah cheer- cheers, cheers to you my friend i really appreciate this cheers lads thanks very much for having me on